so I decided I'm going to study this thing and understand it deeper, make myself understand why leaders behave the way they do. General people talk about the dark side of leadership. So bullying is the dark side of leadership. So I'm done proving myself. I am about improving myself all the time. And leading with empathy and leading with compassion is having courage and courage to to be rejected. Hey, my dear listeners, welcome back to Inspire Someone Today, your channel for amplifying inspiration. Joining us today is somebody all the way coming and sharing her thoughts from South Africa, Pretoria. Somebody who has made her life mission as rehumanizing the workplace one leader at a time. And we always thought the term, the word, the phrase bullying as something that was used at school. Have you ever thought about bullying at workplace? Not really, isn't it? That's exactly what our dear guest now will talk to us about. She is on a mission to create bully-free positive workplace environment. An adjunct faculty at Gordon Institute of Business Science. It's my pleasure and joy to welcome now to inspire someone today. Now, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Sri. Uh, it really is an honor for me to be here today. And and thank you for, for your warm welcome. Great. Like I mentioned in the intro, now when I, was, when I was looking at your profile, what really intrigued me was, wow, here is somebody who is doing something unique. And that something unique was your workplace bullying practitioner. A term definitely not heard of much particularly in this part of the geography. How did you get here? Is bullying at workplace real? Absolutely. And and I like how you, you introduce what you said. Because often when people talk about bullying, you think about school grounds. You, you think about children in the, in the school grounds, which is before I actually got into this work, that's also what I thought. Um, how it came about, and I'll make the story almost like a summary of the story. I am a practitioner by background. Most of my time I spend at, in the workplace and, and I'll, I'll speak about later on. I transitioned into, into academia, but my roots are really in practice. And that's why I call myself a academic sometimes or a scholar practitioner. But how I got into, uh, bullying is that in my years in um, corporate, at the time I was working in one of the biggest uh, banks in, in South Africa. And what happened was uh, to me at the time, what was going on, I did not know that it was bullying. And my manager at the time the way the manager was behaving, the way the manager was managing and so on and so forth was particularly made, uh, made for something. You know, every time something happened, I would look and say, what just happened there? Now, to cut a long story short, I, on, after a one day of a particularly bad day, and I went home and thanks to Google, 
I typed in whatever I typed in and boom, you know, what came out was that this actually has a name and it's called workplace bullying. My first reaction, of course, was, as many people do, was when I looked at the behaviors that were described as bullying, I thought to myself, this is exactly what is happening. But my first reaction was like, no, I cannot be bullied um, because I'm strong. I speak out, I perform, because that's also one of the misnomers around uh, bullying, especially in the workplace. We tend to think of people that are being bullied or targets of bullies as people that are weak, that cannot speak for themselves. Yes, it might be true, but more often, even your strongest people and strongest performers are the ones that are targeted uh, for bullying. So that's that's how, and then from then, I became more curious. And, um, and of course, at the time, I was considering um, studying further, and I was considering studying a uh, PhD. And as they say, often authors talk about, you know, the title or the book writes itself, the book finds you. And I think this area uh, found me. And and mainly because I thought to myself, even with a bad experience um, that I had, that I went through, um, my attitude in life is even when something bad is happening, I always ask myself, what is the lesson here? What am I learning from here? What is the message from here? And at that point, as a student of leadership, I've always been interested in leadership. I thought to myself, the lesson here is how not to lead. And I decided that when I get into a leadership position, really strong leadership position, this is not how I'm going to lead. And, and that's really how it started. And at the, at the time, I, I also, you know, I had actually decided that I'm going for my PhD. I'm going to look at workplace bullying, but not as an interpersonal issue, but from an organizational issue. Because from the literature review that I did at the time, which is almost like six, seven years ago, what I found was, first of all, there was not too much literature in South Africa on workplace bullying. Most of the literature and the research that was done was done from the West. So my, my interest was then to understand the, the concept from an African context, but in general, but specifically from a South African context. And the other thing that I realized was that uh, most of the literature at the time focused more on the psychology part as looked at bullying as an interpersonal interpersonal issue between the bully and the the person, the target. So I I was much more interested in looking at its role, what organizational factors lend themselves to bullying, thriving, happening, being possible and thriving. And I was much more interested in in also looking at, at leaders and the role of leadership. Because as you, you know, there's a, the most famous adage that people leave managers, they don't lead organizations. The shadow, I also talk a lot about the shadow of a leader. The organization takes the shadow of a leader. 
In other words, how a leader behaves impacts directly on the on the on work environment. That's how I got into this. And then I made it my mission that I'm going to be part of a solution and not part of the problem. Because it's one thing to know what bullying is and that bullying um, exists. And because there is still almost like some form of a stigma to it, not many people talk about it. People that are being bullied are not comfortable to speak about it because they, there's also evidence that when you speak about it, more intimidation, you actually are likely to open yourself into more intimidation. So I decided I'm going to study this thing and understand it deeper, make myself understand why leaders behave the way they do. General people talk about the dark side of leadership. So bullying is the dark side of leadership. But I wanted to shine a light into this dark side of leadership and and do something about it. Because first of all, why can't we all get along? We spend a lot of time, so much of our time at work, and I've seen people suffer in silence. And I wanted to be part of the solution and actually raise awareness around this, which is often called the silent epidemic. What a powerful start that was. Now, thank you so much for sharing that. And along with that, you made a couple of very profound statements there. One, making this very contextual, just not have it spread across saying that okay, bullying is the same across the globe, but it is contextual to the societies, to the countries that we live in. Two is the entire stigmatization of this stuff. Like you said, it's a silent epidemic. Lot many times it is seen as a sign of weakness rather than a sign of strength by virtue of stating this. I think you made some pertinent points there. We'll come to this. Along the way, doing all of these things, you also ended up coming up with a framework to make workplaces bullyproof. If you can share, what is that seven-step process of making workplace bullyproof? It's actually very simple. I am a big believer in removing complexity because especially, you know, in as professionals sometimes or practitioners, you know, we tend to make things, especially things that not everybody is aware of or is not common, we, we tend to make them complex. So my, my steps or my framework is very, very simple. First of all, I, I think it starts with leaders. And, you know, my whole thing is about rehumanizing um, the workplace one leader at a time. It starts with um, leaders and leaders must set the tone uh, from the top. And how do they do that? One of the ways they can start is actually take a stand against bullying. And that can start with uh, developing anti-bullying policies. And we all know that, um, you know, you can have the most wonderful policies in the world, but if you actually don't make them operational and actually connect them to what matters, for example, connect them to their values, to the organization's values, it's the same thing as values. Many organizations, we have values that we are beautiful and we put in beautiful pictures, but we don't live that. So for me, it's, it's understandable for leaders to start with leaders, to take a stand, to make a statement that bullying is not tolerated and therefore create an environment 
where actually we can talk about it. And one way is uh, through developing and providing policies. But what it means to your point that um, you made and which I made is one thing about bullying also, which which I'm now remembering now that I'm talking about it, is that it's complex. Often you talk about where does bullying start and end and where does harassment start? And, and when you look at the, um, all other negative acts at work. So, which is why it is important to define for yourself in every organization, every leader has got to define for themselves. What does bullying mean for us? What is the meaning of bullying and define it so that, and, and typically it ought to be behavior based. The next step is to constantly communicate those policies, make them alive, tie, emphasize not just the bad stuff, but what is the desired behavior? What is the behavior that we as leaders desire for people in our organization to display? And one example is to tie with the values. And I often say that Always, because if you have defined the desired values and then thereafter catch people doing the right thing, often what we do is we focus on on the bad stuff. We focus on on catching people when they're doing something wrong and when they are behaving badly and then we punish them. So part of it is, is also how do we reward the desired behavior. And by reward, I don't mean necessarily all the time um, financially. And then the the next step is to promote positive leadership. And what is is that? One of the um, things that I really believe in and what the, the pandemic has also taught us is to lead the best leaders, lead with compassion, lead with empathy, and also tied to that, it creates transparency. So transparent leadership is also very important. But you, what it therefore means is that the lead, leaders have got to be very clear about their role, about what they are about, about what kind of organization they want to create. And then create a culture of honest and two-way feedback, regular two-way feedback. Because often why, I, and, and my emphasis is on honest and regular and two-way, because what, what that means is that any, everybody in the organization ought to be able to provide feedback to the leaders. It should not just be one way. But then um, the other thing that I'd like to emphasize is that even delivering feedback, it's very important how you do that. It has to be done in a respectable way. And um, the next step is, is just about training key staff and managers on how to recognize the signs of bullying, including to do what to do when, when the bullying is being reported. Because one of the things which is still a bit of a problem in many organizations is that when people complain or report cases of bullying, it often nothing actually ever happens. How do you close the loop? Yeah, when nothing nothing actually ever happens, and and it almost like provides an indirect message that you know it's okay to do that. 
particularly as leaders. So um, therefore, uh, tied to that is that it's important for leaders to address the cases of bullying, make it safe for people to speak up. Because many people don't speak up because those that have spoken up have actually been, you know, victims turned into victims, into targets of bullying themselves. There's another thing that comes to mind, and I always say this, but it can only happen when all these things are put in place, when leaders actually, as they say, walk the talk and behave in a way that model the behavior that they want everybody to behave in. The other last point is there's also a responsibility on employees. There's something called the bystander. You know, bystander is somebody that in, in bullying, typically there are three players. There's the target, or as some people call them, the, the victim, and there's the, the bully, and there is one player, which is the bystander. So the bystander is somebody that has that is witness to bullying, witnesses the bullying, but is not targeted themselves. Part of my work is I also work a lot with, with bystanders. And I start by from the premise that there is no such thing as an innocent bystander. You know, when you see something bad happening to somebody and you just watch and you do nothing about it and you walk away and say, well, as long as it's not happening to me, there's a problem in that. And besides, that is also not sustainable because tomorrow it might be you. So one of the, the, one of the ways that I work with, um, with leaders and with organizations is also to empower bystanders not to look away because part of one way of actually breaking the cycle of this bullying with all those things that I've said, uh, I've talked about in place is actually for people to speak up and for people, particularly those that are not targeted themselves. Well, that's a wonderful framework. You did mention a couple of times around the role the leader plays in this kind of a setup. I'll come to that in a bit. Before that, have you seen what creates such kind of an hostile or a successful workplace? Is it the leader all by himself? Is it the environment? What are some of those indicators that makes you to feel that, okay, this is a great successful work environment or this environment by the smell of it, you can sense that, okay, this is hostile. Yeah. Well, well, one of the, well, the other risk of sounding like a broken record part, when we talk about the different forms of, of bullying, um, one, when I talk about uh, corporate bullying, it's typically when the leader at the top is the, is the, does the bullying themselves. Because remember, you talk about the smell of the place. The smell of the place is going to follow what the leader, uh, uh, you know, emutes into, into the organization. One of the, something that always stuck with me when I was doing, um, I was working in an organization and the, the person I was talking to gave such a powerful, powerful metaphor that stuck with me and and the the metaphor they use is like an octopus spewing purple ink you know think about a in a tank and spewing this this ink which and how quickly 
it spreads throughout the organization. So that's one of the reasons that creates the hostile environment where the leader themselves is displaying this kind of um, behavior. Because if the leader is doing that, everybody kind of tends to follow and emulates the leader's behavior. And typically one of the, the, the reasons I will get uh, when I work with people that have been accused of bullying, they would be like, no, I'm not a bully. I've got a strong leadership style and I'm driving performance. And I said, you have, and I usually say, and you have every reason to drive performance. The main thing is the conduct, you know, and, and I emphasize, you know, driving performance and desirable conduct because you don't have to drive performance and leave, you know, people broken. So you can still be hard in your managing and set very strict standards and boundaries, but and do it in a way that that does not disrespect people, that does not, you know, make you to get something out of the out of people, you don't have to shout at them and, and kick the doors and things like that. So that's that. And then, of course, the opposite is also true, where a leader or leaders create a culture and environment where everybody else's voice is important. So even though you are the main leader and you are the final decision maker, but how you do it is, is creating an environment and the platform for everybody else's input uh, to come in and understanding that there is you know, these days we talk a lot about diversity, uh, inclusion, belonging, where you actually do understand as a leader that there is such strong resourcefulness in diversity. And by diversity, I also mean diversity of thinking, diversity of ideas, diversity in terms of doing things differently. And when people feel that they are valued, feel that what they are saying uh, matter, they feel that they contribute, they they actually actually do more. And just recognizing um, the value that everybody else um, adds is also creates an environment. But what that means is that as a leader, you have to know your employees. You have to understand people. But mo- most importantly, Understand your, that your employees are not just workers, they are human too, you know. So it means understanding what are the, the needs. These days, um, we've learned so much about the, from the pandemic. These days in the HR world, there's talk about when creating an employee value proposition, moving from an employee, talking about employee value proposition, but human-centered. Uh, value proposition because the people have got different needs and things might have changed. How, how it's not so much work is no longer just about physical space. It's about doing work and it's about, you know, understanding that this, these are the standards by which I'm expected. My performance is expected. How and when I do that understanding that, you know, it might be different from the way we used to do them. What what that means, especially, um, there's something that I usually say that leaders, by their very nature, sometimes you manage people, uh, knowledge workers, 
and knowledge workers mean that you actually managing people that um that know more than you more often than not because as a knowledge worker it, it means that you're a specialist perhaps your knowledge is deeper so it's more about depth so what what you need to do as a leader some of the great leaders what they do is they provide the strategic direction and then get out of the way let people do what they what they do best so that um i find creates a very very positive environment where people feel valued and people feel that they have the freedom to do what is best from you know what they do best themselves and from their expertise so very true i think you touched upon quite a lot of things there what really really resonated with me couple of things is the human centricity around what we want to do with our working colleagues and creating that sense of belongingness which we have very much seen in the post pandemic world is what matters to everybody is the well-being of their people than anything else and that those are another dimension i was kind of thinking about it when you were articulating this is does the hybrid way of working make this whole situation even more complicated yeah it is again in my simplistic way of trying to what the what the hybrid world is bringing is that i always look at a much more of a uh, what do they call this i forgot the term but i always look at situations and what are opportunities is this presenting us so um a part of the that and i'm always oh, oh, because you know i'm a leadership uh, uh, a student of leadership i always look at the role of leaders so part of that again i always start with leaders is that leaders must also equip themselves to be able to lead in in a multimodal uh way of working because it's no no longer just about you know come to the office we're all in the office so we do this so what do i mean by that it means that they have to understand and create the work environments where you know be clear about what work needs to be done or can be done in a hybrid way or completely online where somebody's you know sitting away from home doing that bit and sending it to somebody but more complex work tasks which are innovative you know face to face might be the way to go uh because it it might be it might be much more available to be able to uh when you're sitting with your colleagues and and because you feed on one on on one on one another so the at the heart of it is trust leaders have to be able to trust colleagues their employees uh to you know to be able to to do what needs to be done and to work especially in a hybrid environment you have to trust people uh, your employees to do that and trusting them means not one of the things that and I digress but I think it's relevant one of the things I'm thinking of last year sometime one of the things that were re- rearing its the way bullying was rearing its head differently was cyberbullying you know because everybody was working from home so you had uh managers who who wanted people to be online 24/7 
because it was like, oh, because you're not in the office, you're not traveling, you're home, you have to be online all the time. And constantly, constantly checking on people. Are you online? Are you working? And and this and that. So this is why I say trust is very important. So what it means is that as, as a leader, you have to provide the tools that people need to work. And you have to provide the standards and the frameworks. Uh, I mean, the, the boundaries, what is expected of them, and trust that they're going to do that. I just remembered a client I worked with when everybody was scrambling around, what is this, and trying to understand the pandemic. And there was, um, you know, there were hard lockdowns. This client of mine, many of the, the employees there did not have good working spaces. So what the CEO did was such a simple but very powerful thing, which later every employee talked about. He said, hey, because you don't have a space to work and don't have the right chair, take the chair from the office, take your big monitor and gave them, you know, the organization arranged for them to have access, stable access to Wi-Fi. So this is an example of what I meant earlier on when I said leading with care, because the, the, the CEO just did not think about Oh, not everybody. Because you think your colleagues, the senior managers, you've got places where you can sit and you, but many people don't. That's an example of how you can make the hybrid world work better. And it is, and effectively, and it's just by leading with care and compassion and understanding and understand this is the human centric way. Because it's also understanding that I'm human. Some when I'm now there, I'm a mother. Some people were this or that. Now it means all the world have have collided. So understanding that at a certain time, I have to do what I need to do, and I also need the the right tools and the right space to be able to be productive. Absolutely, and these are the new skills that leaders need to kind of hone in as we step into the new working world. Less toxic environments, so on and so forth. We'll take a detour here and we'll talk about things that's about now. Three practices now has to keep her ahead of the game, professional game. Um, I create time. I create, I, I have the, and I see Microsoft now does it uh, recently. Um, there's a, usually a day, at least every one to every two weeks where I block time in my calendar. And it's just for learning, for searching, for, um, you know, what is happening, what new is happening. Um, so knowledge is very important to me. So I, I block time to, to find and typically I have sources that I go to. Sometimes I've got academic journals. I sometimes I go to practitioner journals like your Mackenzie's or this that. But I'm also passionate about my continent, and I look at you know what are some of the new things that are coming out from the continent from some of the people, uh, the professionals that I follow. So the quick and short answer after all that is I make time to learn. And the other is that I also give time to me, reflect. Because, you know, we, we're living in a world 
where everything is fast, then we we coming from the this thing to the next, to the next, and to the next. Also, in my planning, in my calendar, I always uh, plan for time, solitude time, to just to go away, be and reflect, and just you know just reconnect body, soul, um, mind. And, and reflect and, and just be and not worry about anything in the world, but worry about just re-energizing myself and making sure that I am whole and review, looking back and looking at the decisions that I've made and looking back, am I still on track? And then if I'm not on track or anything, that's also fine. I always try now. I think it's also a, a function of you know, having walked the journey that I've walked is I cut myself more slack now, you know, so, and understanding that you, it's okay. Life happens as it does, not as it should or as we think it should. As you want it to be. And and the other, I just love the outdoors and my outdoors is not camping. I, I love golf. So I, I spend a lot of time on the golf course because you out in the open, you're walking and the air. And so those are some of my, um, my practices. And, and just, but I also like quiet time. I mean, I spoke about it. So just stopping and be quiet is something I, I really, really put time for. Um, reflective time of quietness. Great. Three advisors that has served you well in your career? You know, in my other life, I'm a coach. So I've always had a coach. So I think uh, one of the, the person that pop, or pops to mind is my coach, who always, some of the things that he said to me, because I tend sometimes to think differently. And in and maybe there's too many things happening in my head. There's some kind of madness in 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 my head. And I remember one of the things that he said to me, which I've always handled. It's actually interesting. I love this, Sri, because this question makes me now. I'm, I'm surprised at, at what I'm remembering. One of the biggest uh, advice that has he has given me was trust your madness. He said to me, now, trust your madness because, you know, you, because you think differently or you do this or that. And, and it might be however people may see it at the time, but you have this way of thinking and the clarity of it. And sometimes it may not make sense in the beginning or people will be like, what, where is she going with this? So the biggest advice he gave to me was trust your, trust your madness. The other one, which is also surprising me, which I remember was from my supervisor when I was doing my PhD, because I believe in doing things thoroughly, no shortcuts. And I was, and I remember my supervisor saying to me, it was like, this is really great. But what, remember what we wanting to do here is, for you to get your PhD, get your PhD and you'll solve the, the, the world's problems afterwards. <laughs> same, same advice there. <laughs> yeah. So, so that those are the two, I know you said three, but those are the two I could think of. Oh, and I suppose the other that also I'm now getting, um, coming to mind is that 
You don't need permission to be kind. Wow, so true. You really don't need permission to be kind. Everybody should be kind and ought to be kind. Leaders, you don't need permission to be kind. I think this is a must-ask question for you, particularly in the role that you're playing, which is three book recommendations from now. Three, only three. Think again. <laughs> the one that pops to mind, uh, Think Again by Adam Grant. Adam Grant. Yes, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that, that book quite a lot. And Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And um, which one now comes to mind? Those are the two that 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 came. Um, and and any book by Ubuntu Leadership, Ubuntu Leadership mm-hmm. by Ruel Koza. Um, he's a South African, and the Ubuntu is much as everybody might say it. It's an African philosophy, but all of us have got live by the Ubuntu principle, which is I am because of them. You know, I, even when you think about it, um, every one of us, the the journey that you have walked, that you could not have done it alone, even though you may be the one that's in the spotlight and you were sitting alone and, and doing things on your own, but you do that being held by other people. So that that and that is the power of Ubuntu, at least in, in the African in the African context and African philosophy. And you know, uh, the, the popular one, um, you know, uh, we are the village or you know, something like that. I can't remember what it is. And and probably this is why we're having some of the problems that we're having, because we've we're forgetting, we are slowly forgetting who we are. And what we stand for, and that as our arch, the beloved uh, Desmond Tutu used to, he used to be so much about Ubuntu. I don't forget that I am because of you. You are because of me. We. So nice. It's so powerful. If you didn't have any limitations whatsoever, three individuals you would like to have breakfast with. What comes to mind is Michelle, Michelle Obama. And one of the things that she she said was, when they go low, we go high. So that's what comes to mind. Because, and, and the, I suppose the thing about that is that you will always be criticized, irrespective of what you do. And the other one that comes to, to mind is, it's, I love your questions. What's her, what's her name again? Um, she was the first, a woman president for Liberia. Um, she was a very strong woman, and she came in during the time when the past president has literally destroyed, or there were a whole lot of things, problems in Liberia. Shirley. Shirley. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's her. I would, I would want to have breakfast with her and just, you know, just learn from her. In terms of what are the um, the the challenges she faced as a woman, as an African woman, the first African woman president of a country that has been in war for so many um, for so many years. Who else? What's her name? Now I've forgotten her name. She's Nigerian. 
she's now the president of the ILO or director general of the ILO. So those are the the people that come to mind. So the the three people tend to be all women. All women. That's what I was kind of thinking. <laughs> and powerful women, Africans are of African descent. This is what is going on in my head right now. Because one of the things I am really about is power is the biggest attribute anybody can have, especially Black women, successful Black women, but powerful Black women, is how to be powerful and soft at the same time. So powerful, powerful and soft. Powerful and soft at the same time. And when I look at these women, they're very, very strong and powerful, yet they are soft. And what makes them soft is that they care about others. It's not just about them. They use their platform, their powerful platform for something good to make an impact on on people like them or in societies and on communities. I suppose now that I think of it, and I'm very, very surprised. Thank you for the, for that question. And I'm, I know I'm going to stay with this for a while. I'm probably going to look at these three women and say, why? Why did you come to, to mind? But this is about a strong, independent, and, and because often as women and as women of color, um, and I would imagine, um, Elsewhere is women who are strong and independent, often seen or labeled as something else. Yet you can be strong, independent, and soft at the same time. In some shape or fashion, these three women leaders are also demonstrating Ubuntu leadership. Yes, they are de- demonstrating Ubuntu leadership because they understand that even though they they did all the work, their qualifications and, and got there, but there's a whole community, villages, that were really, you know, praising uh, and, and behind them and really wishing them well. Excellent. So now this is the last of the power of the round. We have taken a while to kind of get to this question, but it's been fantastic listening to all of your responses so far. I hope you live up to that bar that you have set. So the last of the power of the round is, what are the three things on your bucket list that you would want to accomplish? Bucket lists and in terms of accomplishing, it's actually quite weird. I am no longer about accomplishing. I'm about getting better all the time. So, and, and the, the, the reason I say this, because I've been in situations, for example, in corporate, where I was the only black woman at, first black woman at an expo, or then this, then, and this. And my thing now is, it's almost like at that time, because it was, a, there were so few of us, there was a whole thing about to succeed, you have to prove yourself. So I'm done proving myself. I am about improving myself all the time. I know you're a big, big fan of Bernie Brown. And one of the questions that I had, again, coming from Daring Greatly as well, is what is that that leaders should have or prepare to manage and be courageous in situations when they encounter? 
It is, um, and, and you bringing an important thing because leading and leading with empathy and leading with compassion is having courage and courage to, uh, to be rejected. The world is looking for, uh, solution, quick solutions and things like that. And I often talk about leadership is action. You know, it being prepared. Um, to lead and to be courageous as a leader means actually doing, taking action um, of and doing the things that that you um, you believe or you you believe are the right ones and um, you say you will do. So it's also being authentic. Part of being authentic is doing what you say you will do when you say you will do. So that's, that's also, that's all you have. But the other thing is uh, courage is courage to know when to lead and when to follow. Because in order for you to be a great, great leaders know when to follow. Because at a, in, in specific circumstances, at a specific context, you may not be the smartest person in the room or may not be the most qualified person to lead in terms of what needs to be um, what needs to be done. So great leaders and courageous leaders, you need to be, you need to know when to lead and when to follow. Wonderful, and I love what you said. Leadership is action, not position. Yeah, yeah. What that means, therefore, is that you can you can lead from where you are. You know, often when I work with young women, because I do a lot of pro bono work, working with one you, women in, in corporate who wants, who want to go to one day want to be leaders of organizations. They're often, you know, complaining, Oh, my leader, this, my leader, that. And as I use the same phrase, but leadership is action. It's not necessarily position. There are certain things that you can do, which do not need the position. Um, the, you know, which does not require the position to do for you to do the right thing. And some of the best leaders, you know, I can't think of anybody in the, in, uh, come, may have been leaders without necessarily having the position, but it's actually under having a vision and a purpose and acting on that. So very true. Now, this show is all about creating ripples of inspiration. I hate to do this. To say that we are coming to a close of this conversation, I loved every bit of the conversation that we have had. If there is that inspire someone today message for all the listeners out here, what is now's inspire someone today message? Really, really be all of you. Uh, it's okay to be different because sometimes we always want to follow what everybody else is doing. We want to emulate, and we don't recognize the biggest uh, star or, or pro or leader that is within us. So um, as I say, you are, you are doing the best that you can at this moment, but also trust yourself. Trust yourself. Trust that you are the best because you are. Everybody else has got a, is, has got a light. Let that light out. Let the world um, experience the, the warmth and the brightness from your light. Let it out. Let it out. Shine the light on the world. On that note, 
Now, thank you so much for joining me and sharing this wonderful pieces of uh, wisdom with me and with my listeners. Truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shreya. I really, really appreciate the, the time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening into today's edition of Inspire Someone Today. It's been a privilege to bring in these conversations. If you like this episode and have any feedback or comments, do mail me at inspiresomeonetodaypodcast at the rate gmail.com. Inspiring someone is like creating ripples around us. If you like what you listen, feel free to share them and let's create ripples of inspiration. Do not forget to follow me on my Instagram handle at the rate inspiresomeonetodaypodcast for all the latest updates. This is Srikanth, your host, signing off and until next time, keep inspiring. Keep inspiring.